Thank you once again for podcasting into Unprofessional. I am Lex Friedman, and with me, as always, is Dave Whiskus. Hi, Dave. Hi, sexy Lexi. That's me. And today we are joined by uh, another coworker of mine. We seem to have a lot of those on the show. And this colleague is perhaps the only colleague of mine uh, whose name rhymes with Semenity, and that is Serenity Caldwell. Hi, Serenity. Hi, Lex. Now, Serenity, that's that's a lot of syllables. I, I usually don't go by Alexander. Are there any nicknames we can use for you throughout the course of the show? Why, yes, Lex. If you would like, you can call me Ren. In fact, I know you do because you do it on a daily basis. That's true. And what's the troublesome thing for me with knowing Ren and, and talking to Ren every workday at least is I never remember how in different things she's stored so like in my buddy list she's under r for red but in my iphone she's under s for serenity so i never know how to find her name and it's uh it's a problem yeah that sounds awful it's it's very difficult i get text messages from three different places i'm pretty much a horrible person is what it comes down to but (laughs) red for the people who don't already know everything there is to know about you give give the listeners a quick uh serenity caldwell bio oh gosh biographies um well the first thing you need to know about serenity caldwell is that she's terrible at biographies Um, and apparently doing them in the third person. Um, I work at Macworld with the lovely Alexander Friedman, or Lex. Um, And yes, I I will let that nickname be exclusive to you, Dave. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I work at Macworld. I used to do theater uh, and film, but now I, I do a lot of writing. Um, I play roller derby and do a whole lot of other things, uh, which is why my personal website is called I Wear Many Hats. I do sketching and um, the aforementioned writing. I also do fiction writing. I do songwriting a little bit. Apparently, there's a lot more writing than I thought there was. Uh, I knit and I do lots of lots of various things. Do you also literally wear many hats? I do literally wear many hats. Simultaneously? Um, I do have a picture of wearing six or seven hats. I don't remember why. How do you do that with only one head? Or do you have six or seven heads? No, I just uh, stack them on top of each other like a crazy Mad Hatter-esque. Oh. It was very, you know, uh, being being a theater major, you, you do some strange things that you're not necessarily proud of. <laughs> My second year of college, I started collecting various kinds of hats, uh, partially because I ended up doing a lot of shows that required ridiculous hats or required me to purchase ridiculous hats for actors in my shows. Uh, and so that the it just sort of kept on building. So I have, you know, I have a top hat and a couple of different Stetsons and um, a couple of artist caps, a big floppy hat, like a bunch, a bunch of hats. So, yes, it is literal. <laughs> I'm perennially disappointed by the fact that the word haberdashery doesn't get more use in Me day-to-day too. conversation. It is a lovely word. You're hanging with the wrong crowd. I am? Wait, you hang with a haberdashery frequenting crowd, Dave? Well, I mean, we all hang out at a haberdashery, so that, that affects things. I understand. Sounds like it it's would. It's sort of like Cheers, except instead of at a bar, it's, it's a hat store. Right, right, exactly, exactly. We're all just as drunk, though. I'm wearing a hat right now. I have people who know me well would be surprised by that but i'm wearing a hat right now you are i used to wear i used to wear a hat all the time all the time but i haven't done that in years why would you cover up that like thick luscious gorgeous well, set of hair that's what i realized is what why was i depriving the masses of these lex locks as i like to call them uh yeah i don't know <laughs> i mean you've got to keep <laughs> no. that in limited supply 
This is this is rock and small talk, guys. <laughs> the truth was, I um, I you know, for a long time, I had much shorter hair, and uh, I don't know. I liked wearing a hat. I, I and it was like it was it was a statement hat. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just a typical baseball cap. It was, I don't even know what you call it now, but it was, it was sort of like a taxi driver cap, a nineteen fifties taxi driver hat, and I would wear it all the time. That's exactly what I'm wearing right now. Nice. We're twinsies. Yeah, not even a joke. I had to run the dog out, and I'm I'm still kind of a disheveled mess. I haven't like put myself together yet. I haven't put on my face yet today. <laughs> and so, rather than uh, subject the world to my crazy, I've been sleeping and then not showering hair. I just throw on a hat. The um the problem is I have a gigantic head, and I can't wear baseball caps. So I always wore that style because you could get them. I have to when I order them online, I get extra, extra, extra large, and that's what fits my head. But um, what I what I liked is that you know at home. In Pennsylvania, I never really wore the hat because I wasn't a hat guy. I was only a hat guy at camp. But then when I went to college, I reinvented myself as a hat guy, and that was very exciting for me. I could see how that would make you popular with the ladies. I, I wore it backwards for additiveness. Of course. So, Serenity, you've got all these hats that you wear. You've got your day job. Are these things that you, you just like to do and they're, they're passions of yours? Or do you, do you try to turn these into uh, big world-changing pieces of, of, I don't know, art, performance art, whatever they happen to be? You know, it kind of varies. Uh, most of the things I start out with, I don't really ever intend to show to the public. I don't know why I ended up starting the blog, I Wear Many Hats. It was mostly like trying to keep a log for myself. But every time I start a new project, I'm just like, oh, this is so cool. I want to learn so much about it. And then once I learn about it or once I do something really neat, it's like I don't want to keep it to myself. I want to share it with people. Um, but they're not necessarily – I wouldn't necessarily call them things that I'm ever planning to – You know, it's it's not a matter of day job versus real – you know, real passions that I'm just waiting to break out. They're all kind of, they're these little side side project secret passions that I occasionally let little snippets out to share with the world. That's a really good way of saying it. I don't think of any of my, I, I'm going to use the word hobbies, but I don't think of any of that as side projects. They're all sort of things that make up me. Exactly. And sometimes, sometimes I feel like sharing those things because I'm proud of them. And sometimes I, I keep them to myself for long periods of time, but they, at no point is any of them uh, like a, a dark secret that I'm trying to keep. They only remain secret because I just haven't gotten around to getting them to a point where I feel like they're finished yet. Yeah, exactly. Oh God. I have so many, you know, I songwriting is one of those things. I know Dave, I mean, you started what airplane mode a couple months back, but you've written songs for quite a while now. Um, and for me, it's like, I love writing songs, but I am terrible about actually putting them in a public place because every time I get to a point where I'm like semi okay with the writing of the song, then there's the recording of the song and then the recording may not go quite well. Or then you reanalyze and you look at the lyrics and you're like, oh God, is someone going to think that I'm writing this depressed song because I'm actually depressed? Or are they going oh, to God. read too much into this? I've had a song that I've been sitting on for five years about a long distance relationship that I wrote because I thought it was hilarious and I haven't been able to post it because I'm like, well, I don't want anyone that I've ever been in a long distance <laughs> relationship with. It's like, uh. it's things like that. But yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean, where it's like there are all of these things that I'm really proud of, but may never actually get to see the light of day because I either I'm not completely satisfied with them or I'm not sure 
how the wide world will take them. <laughs> See, that's interesting to me because for any uh, hobby of mine where it's, it involves some kind of artistic expression or creation, and for me, uh, you know, if it's songwriting, it's, you know, I do silly songs or children's songs most of the time. Like, uh, I don't think people think that Angry Fatso is about them, although it totally <laughs> is. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, when I, if I, once I've created something, I'm, I'm desperate to share it. <laughs> music is a tough one because it's not like you write a song and then it's ready to go right so he's right you gotta you gotta write the thing you gotta go through a couple of versions of polishing and then making sure that the lyrics are such that nobody is thinking too much about it and then you have to record the thing and that might involve just a guitar and vocals or it might be like this whole thing that you've got to put together it takes you know, there's a process there and you've got to mix the whole thing down get it ready for public consumption and it might be a week or two from writing a song of, of solid work before it's ready to actually show to anybody like for me you know i'm a singer by i wouldn't say by trade by nature um i grew up in a household full of musicians so i sing i I'm play a little bit nature. of <laughs> um yeah i i sing and i play a little bit of piano and a little bit of guitar and I write songs that rarely can be accompanied with just a guitar or just a piano, which is really troubling when I'm like, oh, this song really needs drums and bass and a full orchestra. And I am not so much a musician that I can actually put that effort into it. So I'll write these songs and then be like, well, I could publish the demo of me just playing these six chords on my guitar, but it doesn't have the impact that I want that song to have. One of the reasons I started Airplane Mode was because I realized that uh, music had become a secret passion. And to me, music has always been my life. I've been, I've been playing guitar since I was 13. I've been writing songs since I was, I think, 18. I spent years being in bands, playing shows, doing the, the, making records, doing the, the whole musician thing. And so it hit a point where I mentioned playing music or, or writing songs or having recorded demos and people are like, Oh, I didn't know you played music. That freaked me out. Like that's, that's how I think of myself. That that's the single most defining characteristic when I, when I view myself. Uh, so to have that be a secret, it's really weird how, how people see you can change your definition of yourself in a, in a strange way. Like, I mean, my entire life I have been a theater person and you know, I, I love theater. I love the classics. I love directing. I love being on stage. Um, there's there is just something so exhilarating for me about being in that world. Uh, but I took a break from it uh, a couple years ago when I actually around the same time that I started working for Macworld. And since then, I've developed, you know, a whole new friend circle and group of people that I hang out with and people that mm – -hmm have never known me as a theater person and have never known, you know, that, oh, I, you know, I worked on 14 shows in a semester of school or, you know, the fact that I can probably recite most of Drums in the Night by Brecht from memory. Like, there, there are these weird things where wow. I'm like, wow, these these people, you know, they they see a completely different side of me. They see the, you know, the Macworld writer who does a bunch of little side projects and, and, do, you know, they did it's I don't know. It's just it's odd. It's you become a different uh, a different person with different passions, depending on who you hang out with, which I find fascinating. I think the, the flip side of that, too, is that I spend some time thinking about um, 
how other people see me versus how I see myself or how I see them. You know, when I think about the folks at Macworld for years, I, you know, I mean, for years I read Macworld before I worked there and I knew many of the folks who were there by the time I was hired by name. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I knew who Jason Snell or Dan Morin or Chris Breen was long before I ever started uh, freelancing for Macworld. And then when you're working alongside them, you know, it's like, I think of some of those guys as, you know, total experts and, you know, brilliantly, you know, brilliant insights that they have. And I just think about them as being totally in this incredible headspace of understanding everything there is to understand about Apple and its ecosystem and its products and all that. And I'm like, and I also work here and it's funny because I mean, I really like what I do and I think I'm good at what I do for Macworld, but I view myself not exactly as, as faking it, but I view myself as, you know, just a guy who, who knows about these things. And I look at the people I work with and I think, man, these, I'm working alongside the experts. And I, I feel that way, not just about work, but I, uh, you know, just about being a, a functioning adult in society or being a parent where I kind of, again, the first word that comes to mind is faking it, but I don't think I'm faking it. It's just, you know, that I'm, you know, just doing sort of what comes naturally and what I can come up with where everybody else seems like they, they really have it cemented and they know the things that they're doing. And I know that that's not actually true and it's a perception problem of my own, but that's, that's sort of how I see the, the world at large. Oh no, totally. I mean, it's always... It's always when you're doing something and when you start to do something new, um, especially I started I got into comics a few years ago. I was always like doodling in the margins and things like that. But I never really seriously focused on drawing comics until 2001. Uh, And when I did that, I'm like, well, I did it for four or five years. And I'm like, I really like drawing comics, but everybody else is so great. And they've been doing this all the entire, you know, their entire life or it feels like they've been doing it their entire life and they're so perfect and I'm I have to live up to their standards and I have to, you know, work my way up the ladder and climb up and they're perfect. And then, you know, you you read uh, an, an article or a blog post by, you know, one of one of the people that I was really in admiration of and they're like yeah i i doubt myself every day and i look up at you know the people who win the eisners and i'm like hi i'm terrible in comparison it's always when you're starting something new everybody around you is always the you know the expert the person that you're striving to be even if they themselves feel like they're swimming in water i feel like that's it's such a common phenomena i feel like imposter syndrome is is part of the driving force behind why I do anything I do. I'm always trying to be better because I know that I'm kind of faking my way through everything. <laughs> and I think it comes from, comes from being a kid. I spent, I moved around a lot and I spent a lot of time by myself. So I would develop hobbies because I would see people doing things on TV that looked interesting, or I would read comic books and I, I, I would wish that I could make my own comic books, or I would listen to music and wish that I could make my own music. And so I'd pick up a pencil or I'd pick up a guitar and I would just start doing it because it, it looked like the kind of thing that I would enjoy doing. And I did. And uh, like music, I never learned theory. I still can't read or write music. It's all, it's all in my head and I have to memorize everything and play by ear. But it's kind of the organic process of, of how to get to there without all of this school and all of this, this back knowledge. So yeah, I feel like I'm faking it, but I kind of enjoy that. I kind of enjoy the knowledge that I'm going to get better by virtue of, of what I'm doing rather than people teaching me how to do it. I don't think of other people as faking it, but every once in a while I get in a situation where you do sort of feel aware that, Hey, this person is totally faking it or is, you know, presenting themselves as a, but it, uh, is truly B. And I feel like when I have those insights, I'm always dead on balls accurate. 
<laughs> like this guy's full of shit. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Checking. Are you the talking box. about me? Uh, no, is no this one about on this me? podcast. Yes, you probably think this podcast is about you. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's definitely a you know a, a fear in the back of your head, right? I picked up. I started doing roller derby uh, partially because I saw a couple bouts, and I'm like, you know what? When I was a kid, I used to do a lot of dodging and I liked fancy footwork on ice skating, but I hated like the technique and I'm not an athlete, but maybe that would be fun to do and went into that with that mindset and kind of like the I'm just going to go in for the virtue of having a good time and improving myself and learning from the experts and, and you know, fuck who cares um, what I, you know, I don't care if anybody's judging me. I'm just going in there to, you know, to to get better and to learn something cool. And having that attitude is really empowering in a way. It's kind of it strips out the the fear of imposter syndrome uh, because you're not you're not doing it to make it a full-time job. You know, you're doing it out of the love of that particular passion or that particular thing. And it's like, I continue to draw cartoons today because I like drawing cartoons and, you know, I'm never going to, I'm never going to do avatars and charge money for avatars. And I'm never going to draw a comic book for DC or Marvel, but I'm still going to draw comics because they make my, you know, they make me happy inside. And I like drawing little stick figures and I like telling stories about little kids. You know, it's, it's interesting that you had a, a really, a, a very positive take on all of that where you said, you know, you watch roller derby and you said, you know, even though this is not something that I is going to necessarily be an immediately easy fit, I want to do it. For some of my passions, you know, I, I mean, I love to read good writing and feel inspired by it. I'm like, man, I have to write more like that. <laughs> um, but there are some things that I see that I feel really passionate about. For me, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's, it's theater as much as it's just comedy. But when you, when I see like bad stand up or, um, if you know I'm watching Saturday Night Live and there are poorly written sketches or something that that motivates me in the wrong ways. Like I get angrily motivated. I'm like man, it very it's very frustrating to me that I'm so passionate about this and I would take this craft so seriously were I doing it professionally. And these people have the opportunity and are fucking and are it wasting all up by it, not doing it. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> How do you watch Saturday Night Live uh, on TiVo? I meant because it's so bad. How do you sit through it? <laughs> well, I. <laughs> I understood that's what you meant. I sure, sure. I sure you did. he lied. Uh, so no, I mean, I enjoy the effort that goes into it, and I think there are always enjoyable moments in almost every show. In fact, the the Martin Short episode that was right before Christmas uh, was great. It was like the best episode in two or three years. I will only watch that show if John Hamm is hosting. I liked him with Michael Bublé. Ham and bubbly. Ham and bubbly. Yeah, ham and bubbly. There we go. Yeah. You know, I, for me, it's, um, it's all theater. I can't go into theater. There was a, there's a wonderful fantasy book, um, semi-tangential, but I promise related, uh, called The Name of the Wind, uh, which is about a, about a musician and a, it's basically a hero's journey, but, but the, the lead, the lead character is also a musician. And there's a, there's a scene when he's sitting in a tavern, listening to people perform on stage and just talking about how it's completely eating his soul from the inside out um, to watch it. And it's like it's not that the music isn't enjoyable and it's not that, you know, the people aren't performing well. Um, even the best performance in the world can leave you with that kind of hollow like, 
I want to be there. I want to be up on stage. I want to be doing this thing. Um, and instead, I have to sit and watch. And that's – it's always – been very funny to me that like I feel that way about all theater and quite a lot of music where it's like I love music and I love performance and I you know but at the same time watching it is almost painful in a way even if even if it's brilliant it's just it it sort of gnaws on that area of my heart where I just really want to produce something and not being able to produce something even for like two and a half hours watching a musical I'm like Oh, this is so good. It makes me want to go out and, you know, go back yeah. to the thing that I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> See, again, you have a very positive look at it. It's like, this is so good. For me, it's like, uh, I'll even get annoyed, you know, just with a, a master of ceremonies at a totally trivial event. Where, man, I could totally <laughs> master these ceremonies so much better. But for me, it's always, <laughs> this is not happening well enough. You're like, this is so good, so I'm inspired. I'm like, this is not good enough, so I'm inspired and agitated. Oh, definitely. I'm going to start calling you MC Lex. <laughs> MC Friedman. MC Sexy Lexi. For, for several Aww. years, I was releasing, actually for less than a year, but I was releasing uh, songs on MySpace, so you can get a uh, sense of when this was, um, that were Jewish-themed raps, <laughs> and uh, I did those as MC Slow Motion, so that was good. Aww. McFriedman. I'm loving it. <laughs> that was funnier than it should have been. <laughs> oh, you know what? It was DJ Slow Motion and not MC Slow Motion. You're a fucking liar. Misleading us. Well, I'm a liar. I hate going to see shows because I'll I'll stand there and I'll watch the band up on stage. And all I can think about is how much I want to be up on stage. I can't enjoy the show. I just think about wanting to get up and play music. That's why I hate the world, man. <laughs> I have to wonder if it's just, you know, if that's actually secretly a little bit of everybody who enjoys, you know, maybe not everybody's going to go to a concert and have that feeling. But I, ha I have to wonder if, you know, everybody has something that they're secretly passionate about that when they go and see a show or read a book or see an article, they just gnaws on them. They're like, either this is awful and I can do better or this is so good and it hurts me not to be a part of it. There's there's another category too. I think I think you're right that that it must be common to to people who have who can witness their passions being acted out by others, but. I know there are some when uh, there are shows, I think, that are so brilliantly crafted. I'm thinking of, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm or Arrested Development, where it's a third emotion for me, where it's not I'm inspired because this is bad and I want to do better. It's definitely not that. And it's not even I'm inspired because this is so good and I wish I were part of it. It's like I'm inspired slash ready to kill myself because <laughs> this is so much better than I could create. Um, like, I wish I could have the plotting notions that larry david can come up with or that mitch Hurwitz can come up with for rest of development and i like i don't think in those ways even watching good aaron sorkin when i think about his plotting and how he can tie all his different threads together man i wish i could do that and i can't i can't do it their way and so it's like just a different kind of horrible jealousy basically i'm a miserable person is what i'm trying to get at i think i think we all have that that person or artist that is so good at what they do that we love them but we're jealous i think Sarney's heard me say this before but uh jay clifford from jump little children i would literally murder somebody for that guy's voice who would it be you lex <laughs> oh shit it's lex, me lex i love you to death but i would kill you for that guy's voice it's, it's okay <laughs> i mean I, I i literally don't know I, I i googled him as you mentioned it i i don't know that i know the voice but i'll listen to it and decide if i'm okay with that or not you should it's, you should everybody listening should should go listen to some jump little children right now i remember when you made me listen to that band and that band is very very good and he is very very good they're definitely like it's like listening to butter yeah no it's uh i find it really 
not necessarily funny, but I never growing up had a, you know, had the celebrity crush. I feel like a lot of people had like, oh, I want to marry, you know, if we're talking about ben my, Affleck. yeah, exactly. Something like that. And for me, it's like, I was never attracted to people or attracted to celebrities on face value. It was more like, oh man, your talent. Can I just steal your talent or can I just put your talent in a bottle and have it near me and have it like, can I feed off your talent? <laughs> Is that, now I'm sounding really horrible and I feel like that's that's much more creepy than a simple, sad <laughs> it's, it's celebrity a creepy, crush. I'm not gonna lie. A little, yeah, it's a little, it's totally a little talent creepy. For a while. But it's like my first, my first crush is like a 14 or 15 year old kid. Um, was on a guy in his mid-50s who was a uh, physical theater performer. And it was like when he got on stage, my jaw literally dropped in terms of how he was able to manipulate space and the passion that he spoke with when he was doing speeches and when he was in the show. And like afterwards, I was kind of like, oh, man, I just want to be your friend and I want to learn everything you know. Like it's I, I felt again, I feel a little weird about, about the talent crushes, him. but, you know, it's it's strange how those form where you're like, there are at least five people whose talent I would like to steal and, and have for my own. It's funny because whenever the conversation comes up about people talking about their favorite actor or actress or, or who they you know, put on their list. For me, I, I've always had to do the well, name some actresses like who like who do I even have to choose from? But if I'm thinking about men, it's like, well, I like this guy because he's really funny, or this guy's really talented, or I love this guy in that movie, or or this. Uh, it's 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 all backwards for me when I'm thinking about talent. I don't attach to a specific gender. It's just like whatever's in front of me, and I I I think about it's more the James Bond thing of not uh, who do I want, it's who do I want to be. Yeah, exactly. And Lex is like, no, I, I don't I don't admire anybody. I just want to kill them. No, I mean, there's definitely people I admire, but I was thinking I can think of plenty of people I want also. So I, <laughs> I just don't know if I can relate. It's I I, I can. <laughs> I well, no, that's a let me let me clarify that. What I mean is that when it's when it's people so far abstracted from my immediate like world, I can't I can't. I mean, I guess I can see them and think like she's hot, but I don't I don't like realistically think of going after somebody in that way. Understood. Where where I know that if somebody's very talented, I can emulate them. Exactly like I listened that. to that guy you mentioned just now for a second. He sounds nice. He sounds very nice. I want that guy. <laughs> just, <laughs> mostly because I want to see if I can get his voice box, put it in you, and not get murdered. It's, it's self-serving. For his second solo album, he did a, a Kickstarter-like thing. It wasn't Kickstarter, but it was like a Kickstarter-like Pledge thing. Pledge music. Yeah, yeah. And I pledged enough that I was supposed to like go have dinner with him and hang out in his studio for a day. And I've just never like I've talked to his manager a few times and we tried scheduling. It just never worked out. How much but money do you have to give to get that treatment? It was like 250 bucks. It wasn't. Oh, no, that's OK. I was thinking it had to be at least a thousand. If he weren't in like, what was it North Carolina, South Carolina? Yeah, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, it would be a really easy thing to just hop over there, but I've I've got no other business in South Carolina. There's nothing that would ever take me out there, so it's hard to to justify the trip just for that. Speaking of the Carolinas for a second, it has always bothered me that there's such a missed opportunity. I feel like when there is a North and South Carolina or Dakota, or frankly when there's you know a, a New Mexico and a Mexico, it should be everyone's responsibility to make sure that all the city names are the same. So you always have to specify exactly which <laughs> state it's in. I just think that would be better and more fun for everyone involved. I kind think, of a dick. Yeah. I, I think you really like to prey on people's suffering, Lux. No, I just, I think it would be hip. I think it would be cool. <laughs> hip. <laughs> Nothing hipper than using the word hip. 
I'm going to Cancun, New Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) But do the places have to be identical or is it like one Cancun is awesome and one Cancun is like a desert town with one gas station? They should be mirror mirror images based on uh, proximity to one another. So it would be like uh, a horizontal flip if it's North and South Dakota. But if it's Virginia and West Virginia, it would be a vertical flip. Now, I'm willing to recognize that the geographies of these places aren't exactly the same. They're not shaped the same way. I just think it would be fun if you could try to get a, some more magic. I mean, if we're going to call these things the same name, if we're so unoriginal that when it comes to the, like, the, the few words that we can just make up, because you can call a city or a state or a country, whatever the hell you want to call it, since it's got no name to start with. If we're going to just rip off another one, I feel like we should at least have some fun with it. That's all I'm saying. Well, Dave, we should talk about this episode's sponsor, which is your friend and mine, lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com. Let's. You can learn it at lynda.com, an online learning company with more than 77,000 video tutorials that teach software, creative, and business skills. Now, Dave, you know this, but just for the listeners who might not be aware, membership at lynda.com starts at $25 per month and provides unlimited 24-7 access to top-quality video courses taught by expert instructors with real-world experience. That means you can learn anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace with bite-sized tutorials, mm. comprehensive courses, yeah, delicious, comprehensive courses in web design, programming, design, photography, business, audio and video, and 3D and animation. They add new courses every week, so their library keeps pace with today's fast-changing technical and software skills. They do change fast. Yeah, well, and so do I, by the way, if I have to get dressed in a hurry. But you can save and prioritize courses in your queue for whenever you're ready to watch. You can learn on the go with the mobile site or with the free iPhone and iPad app for members. And since you're an unprofessional listener, guess what, Dave? What? You get to try lynda.com free for seven days. You go to lynda.com slash unprofessional. I'm not kidding. Lynda.com slash unprofessional. Don't forget it's Linda with a Y. Uh, I spell Lex with a seven, a seven, by the way, a silent seven. Lynda.com slash unprofessional. You get seven free days of these courses. And the thing is, uh, I think a lot of our listeners are experts at many things. You know, maybe you are already a programming expert or a web design expert, but maybe your photography could use a little help, or maybe you don't know as much about 3D and animations, but uh, there are literally, when you talk about 77,000 video tutorials, that's a lot of stuff. I think there's probably something you can learn. There. Yeah, I'm looking at this list. I, I might go check this out. As well, you should. And make sure you go to lynda.com slash unprofessional to do it so that they know I sent you. And, and so that I get a free seven days. Right. That's really important. Because we all want to try things before we buy them. That's right. It's, it's everything the Mac App Store should be, but isn't. Right. In terms of having a free trial. You know what else people should do? What else should people do, Dave? I think that right after they're done signing up for their free seven days at lynda.com slash unprofessional, they should head over to iTunes and they should, okay. they should look up our show, Unprofessional, on iTunes, and they should, they should give it a fair rating as long as it's five stars. I'm going to do that right now. I do it once a day. <laughs> Just keep going in there and clicking five stars. And people should also follow us on, on Twitter at twitter.com slash unprofesh or like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash unprofesh. That's un-p-r-o-f-e-s-h, right? That is correct. You've been there. What are we on app.net? Apathetic. Yeah. Look at that. 58 five-star ratings on itunes from professional thanks everybody yeah i can't i can't believe that we're still at an average of five stars uh seriously sincerely thank you everyone my favorite podcast with me in it i really enjoy unprofessional not the dave part as much as the lex part but still i like the whole thing submit
How many stars? Five. I had to be honest. Just reminds me of the West Wing episode when Donna has to go up to listen to the people in North Dakota. They're like, we don't want to be known by the name North Dakota anymore because North means <laughs> cold. Right. I don't imagine how that's even a presidential problem. It's not. That's why it's, they send, like, the lowest aid possible. It always bothered me on that show how, I mean, I like Donna as a character, but she's the only assistant who gets top billing in the credits, and she's more prominent than all the other assistants, even though there's other assistants who are just as important. Like, Margaret should be in the freaking credits. Margaret should have a time where she talks to the president. It almost never happens. It's all Donna. Are we really talking about this? I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> What's involved in changing the name of a state, anyway? <laughs> oh, God. We'll save that for the professional podcast. Yeah. And what's the deal with airline food? <laughs> <laughs> Find the person who's passionate about that and ask them that question. There must be someone passionate about airplane food, right? Like, that's that's got to be somebody's job. I don't think there is. I think that's a problem with airline food. <laughs> I'll bet there's a blog or a Tumblr or something. <sighs> there must be. If nothing but making fun of airline food. There's the thing. It shocks me. It constantly shocks me what people are into or what people are excited by. Uh, the fact that there is now a show on this network about designing shoes, I've, it just blows me away. That's not judgment. That's a, I'm just surprised. I think it's great. I, I think it's awesome that people find their passions in places that I wouldn't think to look. It just kind of surprises me. The guy who ran airplanefood.tumblr.com gave up after about a year. <laughs> but I'm sure there will be new. Yeah, there, there are always new new things sprouting up in their place. Well, if the music thing doesn't work out, I know what to do with airplane mode. Well, I was just going to say, if Weird Al parodied airplane mode, it would totally be airplane food, right? That's that's how he would go. I don't think he would play it based on the name of the band. Shut up. Don't think about it too hard. <laughs> Shut up. You know, I, my parents were just visiting uh, here in New Jersey for a couple weeks, and my mom was saying near the end of the visit how she's always thought to herself that if she couldn't be her, that she thinks it would be fun to be me. Uh, which is, a, I guess, a nice thing to say, and it's an interesting thing to say. And she was explaining this because she thinks that I'm always happy all the time, or that I, I, I don't, I don't get too upset about things. And I just let it slide and try to accept the compliment as best I could. But I think she's totally fucking wrong. I mean, I consider myself a happy person, and I like a lot of stuff. But just thinking about the things that I, and I've talked about this on the show too many times. But thinking about the things I'm passionate about, I, I get hung up on. You know, am I spending my time doing the right things? You know, there's, there's a book that I want to write. And it just, I know it's going to take a very long time. And I don't feel like I have the time to do it. So I never work on it, which of course means it never gets done. Uh, and, you know, there's songs I want to write, but that means, you know, spending more time in the office away from everything else. And I spend enough time in my office to begin with. So I don't do that. And then I, you know, I turn on television. And I'm either jealous because it's a show written by Larry David or I'm unhappy because it's, I don't know, a traditional NBC sitcom that sucks. And I'm mad that these people aren't doing something more with the fact that they have a national TV audience to broadcast to every week. So anyway, my point is, Mom, you don't listen to this podcast, but I'm not as happy as you think I am. That got really dark in that last three seconds. Yeah, Mom. <laughs> but Dave's mom listens was... to it, so she's my That's honorary true. mom. I'll let Aww. you know what she says about that. Yeah, no, Usually think... within an hour of when the episode goes live. Yeah. Usually she's asking me, when's the episode going up? <laughs> every every Tuesday morning, I get to see, so when's the show going to be up? My trick is I just throw out the idea of a day job. And at this point, I don't really have one day job. I mean, I do things that make money. I'm fine. But it's uh, I, I've taken the opportunity with being freelance and the, the, the free time that it gives me to approach life as here are all the things that I want to do. And I'm going to dedicate as much time to each of them as I feel like dedicating. And I know that I still have responsibilities and there's still things I need to take care of, but I'm not going to worry about the bottom line as much as I'm worried about 
Am I spending my time doing the things that make me happy? Absolutely. I mean, we only, as as cliche as and trite as it is to say, we only have so much time. And I decided pretty early on that there was no part of me that wanted to spend my time doing things that didn't interest me. It's like I did retail for a summer uh, at a Target to make some money because I was bored in between a semester of college. And that was the most soul-sucking, horrible experience. And from there, I'm like, well, I made the best of it. I like made up little games and figured out, oh, well, if I do this and I do this and I'll make like little origami sculptures out of the feedback cards. And But at, <laughs> at, at the end of it, I was just like, you know what? Money, being rich and and super comfortable and well-off is not worth it to feel unfulfilled and feel like you're not doing something creatively satisfying. And I mean, that's part of the reason why I ended up in my current job, uh, my current place that makes me money is that, you know, I was I was looking for something where I could do, you know, scratch the technology itch that I love and then also have the freedom to do things like roller derby or sketching or, you know, it's it's a it's an amalgam of what makes you you. It's not necessarily like, oh, I have my day job and then I have my hobbies. Um, the first post that I ever wrote on I Wear Many Hats um, was a conversation that I had with my grandparents where I was talking about – I forgot. I was talking about doing a web design job or something like that. And my grandmother was like, oh, but I thought you were into theater. You know, what? Why aren't you pursuing that as your as your main passion? And I'm, I, I just kind of had to stop for a second because – that's that's not how I qualify myself, you know. I don't qualify it as right. main passion, sub passions. It's not a it's not a diagram. It's not a flow chart. I wake up one day, all right, what do I feel like doing? And also I feel like when you have so many when you have lots of different things that make you happy, it's really easy to transition between the things that aren't working to the things that are working where it's like, okay, I'm not feeling much like drawing this week, but I really want to sit down and play a guitar, you know, learn a new song on the guitar, or I want to write a new song. So instead of, you know, sitting at my computer blankly and feeling depressed or watching terrible television or, you know, playing a multiplayer online game, instead I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this other thing that I'm interested in, or I'm going to learn how to do a new thing. The way I remind myself, the way that I live my life, like every day is going to be my last, is uh, crippling hypochondria. It works pretty effectively. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, everything that you said before, Ren, is exactly how I ended up at the Macworld job, right? I, I had a job where I was totally getting paid great and I was miserable most of the time. And I took a job that, you know, it's a different industry, you can't pay as much, but I didn't have to be miserable all the time. And it's what's interesting to me is that I hate when cliched stuff turns out to be to totally accurate and correct so when people say you know you got to get a job doing something you love it's totally true because then you don't have to hate life every day and think man i have to go through another day of doing this thing that makes me miserable and i think what dave you're doing is awesome uh i would definitely go full-time freelance uh were i in your situation you know, just so that you can really dictate each day how you're going to be doing it. I feel like I, and I, I don't feel like this is a, a crippling situation for me at all. I'm not complaining about my circumstances because they are self-selected and I'm, I'm happy with my lot. But, you know, being a father and having a wife and having, you know, the, the three kids who thus make me a father, um, 
you know, for me, I'm very content with the security of having the full-time job and the benefits that it involves and all those things. Uh, and I made a decision years ago, you know, this is why I didn't pursue comedy as a career more because I wanted to be able to have a, a stable household. And it's why I think I, I feel a little bit less freedom to do some of the other things that I feel passionate about. But at the same time, I, I don't feel like I'm losing my ability to do those things or my interest in those things. I feel like I'm banking up time. You know, I wanted to have my kids while I was young and try to hit my peak earning potential fairly young so that when I, I, my, my optimism here, my hope is that I'm still going to be passionate about these things and have interest in creating stuff when my kids are older and when I can feel a little bit less guilty about taking time away from the family to, to spend time doing those things and uh, not have wasted my whole life away. That's the plan. We'll see if it works. I'll let you know. That's a good plan. I mean, you're home a lot and you managed to make that work, you know, making the working from home situation work and also manage to be doing something that you actually enjoy and not being on conference calls all day and having, you know, still having time to write ridiculous humor books. And, you know, I I really admire that you're able to to juggle that and that it's not burning you out because it gives me hope for <laughs> for future endeavors. I'm all about inspiring people. I think there's something to be said, Lex, for the the idea of yeah, you wanna you wanna put food on your children's tables. Well, that's not right. <laughs> I you do food on your family. Uh, you wanna there's something to be said for wanting to put food in your children. That's still not the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unsubscribed on tables. This podcast. <laughs> I want to uh, feed my children. What else? Th- there's something to be said for wanting to make sure your children are fed, but you also want to make sure that you're serving as the as as a role model, the kind of person who you would want them to see you as yep. you don't want to be absentee father because you were working all the time. And, and yeah, sure. You provided and they were never cold or hungry, but you're never around. No, be the kind of guy that like teach them that you can do whatever you want and you can be happy and you can, you can make it all work. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's right. It's such a great message. <laughs> but meanwhile, I'm getting the most I possibly can out of being irresponsible. I find it really fascinating because, you know, both of my parents are working musicians and basically have been, my entire life and the 10 years they were married before I was born. Uh, and they really, they did not stop working while my sister and I were growing up, but they managed to make that whole situation work where, I mean, Caitlin and I, my, my little sister, Caitlin and I grew up uh, in rehearsal rooms where, you know, we would, we would be off in the corner and watch my parents conduct and play the piano while they were working with the choir. And we would make friends. My dad worked at Caltech, so we'd make friends with like the college students and they'd help us do our, you know, second grade homework. Um, and it was, it was very, actually very freeing and very enlightening to grow up in a situation like that, where I felt like my parents were always doing what they wanted to do and always sort of striving forward for bigger goals and and interesting things. And I know like my mom has regrets because she wanted to be a concert pianist and that didn't, you know, that didn't end up happening as much as she wanted it to. And partially because we moved out to Los Angeles and partially because there were children involved. Um, But she still, you know, she spends to this day, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week um, doing music and vocal accompaniment growing up my role models were the people that made the things that i liked like i said i spent a lot of time alone so my role models were people who who made my favorite comic books or my favorite bands and nobody it's a cliche to say you can be anything you want to be when you grow up but there's something powerful nobody ever told me i couldn't 
And so I grow up and I just kind of do everything I feel like doing and it, it sort of works out. You know, it's interesting. I was, I, and this is not something that I think about all the time, but I just thought it now, but the, the people who were my role models as a kid are definitely still my role models now. I don't know if that's good or sad or neutral or what, but I'm thinking, you know, like I want to be able to, to write songs like they might be giants or weird Al, And I still do now. And I want to, you know, perform like, and think like, and, and I guess do magic like Pendulette. And I still have that same goal now. And it's, it's interesting to me. And, you know, I want to write like Dave Barry and, um, <laughs> I, I still have all those identical goals. So that's, that's interesting. I, luckily none of them are dead because then I don't know what'll happen. I want to be like zombie Dave Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be like zombie Lex Friedman. <laughs> I do want to be like zombie Lex Friedman. They actually, the, my three role models growing up, um, who weren't my parents were all people who died in the last year surprisingly, um, which is when I was growing up, I really, really, really wanted to be a writer. And which is, is funny because it's not, it is not the thing that drives me right now, a fiction writer. Um, and so the, the people I really looked up to were Ray Bradbury who passed away and Diana Wynne Jones, who does fantasy fiction, who also passed away and Maury Sendak. And it was really kind of gut-wrenching to lose all three of them last year. They had all lived long lives and put together, put out amazing pieces of fiction. And I stumbled across a uh, video that uh, the New York Magazine, New York Times Magazine division put together based on a Fresh Air interview that Maury Sendak did with Terry Gross, where Maury Sendak is talking about, you know, how at the end of his life, he's, you know, he's sad that not that he won't get to create more things, but that he won't get to watch other people grow into their passions. And he's like, the, the, the thing that I, you know, the only advice that I can give is live your life, live your life, live your life. And hearing that, you know, four days ago after, after losing these three people this past year, it's just like, wow, it's <laughs> sorry. That went a little dark there for a moment. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of inspired now to, to start a really good podcast. <laughs> Aw, this one's all right. 